0: all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com AI for people to learn more. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers.
1: What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend.
0: Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Tortoise.
2: Hello there and welcome. I'm James Harding and from Tortoise, welcome to the news meeting.
1: It's the battle of the billionaires. Zuckerberg's company Meta is now entering the ring to take on Twitter.
0: Israel says it has intercepted five rockets fired from the Gaza Strip. This is just hours after Israel wrapped up a two-day large-scale military raid in the West Bank city of Jenin. Chris Pincher, who was Boris Johnson's deputy chief whip, should be suspended from the Commons for eight weeks after groping
1: young
2: men at the Carlton Club.
0: Stop fighting. Stop fighting. Stop fighting.
2: Britain's King Charles has been presented with the Scottish crown jewels as part of a ceremony to celebrate his coronation.
0: I'm in love with them. I just love them, as I do all the royals. <laughs>
2: I'm joined for this news meeting at the end of the week by Tortoise editors Liz Mosley, Giles Wattel and Alexi Mostras. Hello all. Hello. 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 Welcome, welcome. Um, you have, I know, each picture story that has emerged in the course of the week since the episode that we recorded on Monday. So we're going to try and discuss each one, try and make sense of what they mean. Um, Liz, why don't we start with yours? What's yours? Long story short.
1: Calm down, dear. It's only fans.
2: <laughs> Calm down, dear. It's only fans. <laughs> I love it, Giles.
3: New Horizon, a plan for Britain to get back into the EU's Horizon science programme. And then, da-da-da, what follows? Yeah, I'll tell you that later.
4: Okay, (laughs) Alexi? Uh, Killing the Bird. Killing the Bird. And that's about the launch of threads and the threat to Twitter.
2: All right. Obviously, you're all wrong. The only real story is the ashes. We should just be talking about drop catches Ooh. of cricket. <laughs> it's so boring. Um, by the way, the one thing I did want to ask before we get into it is, has anyone seen this Keir Starmer proposal on teaching children how to speak? Yeah. What do you think?
1: Uh, linguists have really have the hump about it because the sort of idea that there's a right and a wrong way to speak is sort of really laden with you know you can't go in and talk like that you have to be like this and then you'll get a job that is a sort of already it's annoying the sort of principle of it I'm annoying not sure. but true uh well i'm interested in so multicultural london english which is the accent we all laughed about 10, 15 years ago, there was literally a spread in the Evening Standard about people sort of adopting this sort of uh, East London draw for effect. It, it, it's now It now carries a premium in the job market. That's an accent that is sort of, you know, they sort of pitch them point for point against one another and that's one that is... You get better jobs get and better, better paid yes, jobs. if, if, if people who have that voice, yeah.
4: Alexi? But is, this about, is this about accents or is it about the ability to speak fluently? I don't know. So... I think the grand word that Keir Starmer uses is
2: oracy. Mm. So alongside literacy, we have oracy. And I think, Alexei, it's not so much accents as being able to string together a sentence. I'm nervous of saying this because we're now going to run a podcast in which we're all a bit like sort of maybe I a I thing. <laughs> exactly. And they are right, aren't they, to think yeah. that articulating a point of view effectively I- mm. is a power.
3: Yeah, I think totally. if you can help anyone, whatever their accent, to speak with, well, to, to compete in just a minute, or to speak without, like, you know, uh, and, and what I'm doing now, right, <laughs> uh, they will have a better chance of the three things that Keir Starmer uh, itemised in a piece of the Times, oddly, were getting a, doing well in a job interview, uh, getting a refund from a bank or from a business, but most interestingly, telling a friend something awkward?
2: I thought it was very clever politically on two fronts. One is that it will speak to a whole group of people who are natural conservatives, who fear that a generation of people are losing the capacity to communicate effectively in English and all of the associated ideas, feelings and prejudices that go with that. But I also thought it was clever politically because it's rooted in his experience. Here you have the former head of public prosecutions, you know, the person who ran the Crown Prosecution Service saying, look, I got where I am today because I can communicate effectively in speech. I want to give that opportunity to other people. I thought as a as a policy and as a piece of personal positioning, I thought it was quite smart. Anyway, that's nowhere near the stories we're after. Um, let's start, Charles, with you, if I might. New Horizon. So, Horizon is a ninety-five billion
3: euro uh, EU-sponsored science program of which the UK used to be a part until Brexit, actually until twenty twenty. Um, the ninety-five billion is spread over seven years, twenty twenty-one to twenty-seven. The way it works is that all the participating countries put in money and they get out research money on merit according to the assessed value of research proposals. And uh, the UK, being the home of the Russell Group, Oxbridge, Welcome, Imperial, etc., uh, always did very well out of it in in, in brute commercial terms. Um, when at the time that the UK pulled out, it was getting out half a billion pounds more a year than the 1.5 billion that it put in. So 2 billion in pure science research funding. Actually, not just pure science research funding, but also engineering, applied science, and uh, all all told, Horizon funds literally tens of thousands of science projects under tons of headings, but including climate change, uh, pandemic prevention, um, cancer research, lots of other things that I wrote down.
2: Inside universities and companies or basically just inside uh, academia?
3: Basically, universities and research and, and, and publicly backed research institutes. Um, so the reason I think this is interesting is because clearly, uh, from a UK PLC point of view, if the idea is... To get back into growth as a knowledge economy, you have to play to your strengths. There is there is n- n- no dissenting voice in the science community uh, to the proposition that UK science did better with free cooperation and this funding mechanism, courtesy of the Horizon programme, um, and. It has become possible since the Windsor Framework was signed in March. That had been a roadblock to rejoining. This is the Windsor Framework by which Rishi Sunak and Ursula von der Leyen smoothed out the Northern Island Northern Ireland Protocol. Uh, the the European side of the whole Horizon Program had said, "You've got to sort that out before we we, we talk again about the UK
2: coming back into Horizon." Uh, and. Just explain for a second. I can understand why the UK would want to be back in Horizon, why UK scientists have said that they want the funding and want to participate in these pan-European research mm-hmm. projects. Why would the EU want the UK back in? Uh, broadly, for the same reason as that,
3: um, in brute terms, the EU would want the UK back into the European Union. But, but on steroids in this case, because, um, if you'll forgive the cliché, in science the uk does punch above its weight um tens of thousands of european scientists used to enjoy exchanges used to enjoy coming to work here um and could could continue could resume doing so under the auspices of the horizon program and vice versa um, so this
2: is a case where actually good sense and public policy has trump politics. This is absolutely a case of common sense over
3: ideology. What's happening in terms of uh, managing the story is quite interesting because uh, a number of journalists have been briefed on a plan, which is supposedly in the works and awaiting signature by Sunak and Ursula von der Leyen at next week's NATO summit, coincidentally, on the fringes of. Um, But number 10 right now is is backpedalling, is being very cautious about saying it's a done deal. Um, you'll recall with the Windsor framework, which was the last tiptoeing back towards back over the channel, um, Sunak find, found that he earned quite a lot of points with the now substantial majority that thinks Brexit was a bad idea. But of course he had trouble with the ultras. It'll be the same in this case. So it's case. the
2: same playbook. Liz, what do you think of this?
1: So it would seem to me that getting back into Horizon is a good thing. I think mm-hmm. that's fairly clear. Yeah. But... It was a big part, well, it was a slice of the um, Project Fear, wasn't it? If you get out of the EU, you'll lose horizon, and that's the end of that. So the fact that we can wheedle our way back in again, um, it makes me think the Brexiteers will be thrilled, which is galling.
2: And perhaps you can have your cake and eat it?
1: Well, I don't know. Can you get? Can you jazz?
3: Well, I think this is why it's a good story because I think if you park the whole question of the of the science of it, the politics of it is is a sign of where of what's going to happen over the next ten twenty years. It's going to be ad hoc, pick and mix, um, rapprochement. That's what the Windsor Framework was. It was highly specific. It was complex. Um, this is highly specific. Um, the European political community, which was a Macron idea was highly specific but Sunak made a point of going to the uh, first uh, well second meeting of that you'll recall a few weeks ago in in Moldova it this is how we're going to get back not into but in alignment in friendship with Europe is one highly specific
2: it's uh, called sort of sectoral project at a time let's go to Liz's story um Is OnlyFans in this case a metaphorical use of OnlyFans or an OnlyFans use of OnlyFans?
1: It's an OnlyFans use of OnlyFans, um, which is, um, in case you don't know... (laughs) um it's a it's a paid subscription it's effectively a porn site um where you pick your favorite i'm going to call them performers um somebody you fancy somebody who's into the fetish you're into and you pay them really directly for access to their material that they publish on
2: OnlyFans. it's like patreon for amateur pornographers yes
1: i think that's a nice way of putting it
2: well not so amateur because you some people actually want to make a living
1: Well, that's the whole point. So the people who believe that sex work is work think that OnlyFans is this brilliant, empowering thing because the performer, I guess in this case it's a woman when we get onto the story, is on her own terms, safely, in her own home... Doing things that she has control over and re- directly receiving the payment for it, rather than it having to go via some dodgy man in a horrible studio or what have you. That's the that's the idea. If you if you buy into that worldview, anyway, the story, the thing that's happened, is uh, the Advertising Standards Authority have received some complaints from horrified of Harrow because uh, OnlyFans performer Eliza Rose Watson has paid for four billboards in North London and two in New York, interestingly, I'm unclear of their location, to advertise her OnlyFans channel. And um, it took about a day for the graffiti that says, keep porn off our streets to appear on the billboard. Um, and obviously there's lots of people saying, it's terrible, it's disgraceful, this shouldn't be out in an untargeted medium where children can see it. Now, hilariously, um, uh, the, the woman in question, uh, d- defence of, of the ad in- included, um, children would never be able to access OnlyFans anyway. I I, I don't think she's ever met a child um, because they do run the national IT help desk uh, now. So I'm I'm not sure I quite buy that argument. But what's interesting to me about the story is two things. One is um, the whole idea that this woman buys advertising for what is her business is a very direct way for us to realise what people mean when they say sex work is work. It's literally a business. It's a commercial enterprise that has a marketing budget for her. And that is something that I think we don't have a good quality public dialogue about at all. And secondly, I think it points to um, an interesting way to think about the mechanisms that enable women to commoditize their sexual reality.
2: Can I just understand a few things? Why would you want billboards in very specific locations – I or are you trying? It- was she actively trying to create a row to gain attention?
1: I don't think we can tell that at this point. Um, I mean, the ad itself is just a woman in a bra. You know, There's, there are. She's right. There are more <laughs> worse things you see on an advert for, for a can of Coke. You know, yeah. and other soft drinks are available. But <laughs> uh, um, b- 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 I mean, either way, she's got the exposure. But I think she's probably just bought billboards she can
2: afford. Oh, oh, I see. Because outdoor advertising is relatively cheap. Yeah, it's a way of getting her name exactly. out there. And what's the law governing advertising, outdoor advertising for porn? It, it, it,
1: so, so the Advertising Standards Authority in this country, which is where the complaints have gone to, are considering whether they should investigate. So I think it might be a test you know in the old days it would be just all those cards stuck in a phone booth yeah um there's another interesting thing that's happened a- a adjacent to this that i think is relevant which is the home affairs select committee have interviewed um some people from the national crime agency and sort of held them to task about the nature of their relationship with the people that run viva street viva street is a classified online classified service kind of like craigslist but it's full of escorts and massages and you know sex workers and it's known that on Viva Street you've got a ton of women who in this case are being raped. They're, they've been trafficked and they're being held, held as sex slaves and the Home Affairs Select Committee is saying to the National Crime Agency, I know that you're saying that you work with these people to stamp out the trafficked victims but we are cozying up to them and we're not really sure that this is legit.
2: And so what's the meaning of this story? Sorry Liz, I'm really struggling here because in some ways Only Fans exists mm-hmm billboards mm-hmm. exist, mm-hmm. what's this story actually telling us?
1: I, I wanted to talk about it today because I think that, we and we joked earlier, didn't we, that this is a reverse news mullet. It's sort of a funny story in the beginning, but it it disguises something very serious, which is we have absolutely accepted that women sell themselves for sex. And that's just, it's such a normal thing in this country, because it is legal, sex work is legal in this country, that there's now a, a marketing industry around it that has real money flowing through non-dodgy business cards stuck up in a phone box kind of marketing. I think it's its hard with with all porn... It's like the, the notion of the happy hooker that they're, they're vanishingly rare, those types of people. But with, with all porn, it's really, really hard to envisage a world where at some point somebody isn't being
2: exploited. Even if you have total control, even if Eliza Rose Watson says, I do this, I do yes. exactly what I want to do yes. in my own surroundings, mm-hmm. I put out. All of the footage that I think is Mm -hmm. acceptable to me and I commercialise it all for my own benefit. I'm in control from the beginning to the end of the process. And
1: I know I'm in trouble here already because I've never been in a position where I don't have enough money to feed my children. I get it. Mm -hmm. It's easy for me to say. Um, And it's not her fault, Yes. But there is a, she is operating in a system that means that that, that is the, the, the option that she has to, to, to build the life that she needs to have.
2: But so, so the interesting thing is, I don't. when I hear this story, I actually think of something else, which is I think of a seen but not heard world, or at least a seen but not seen world, which is, OK, you're going to do what you do on OnlyFans. Mm. In effect, the Advertising Standards Agency, the NCA, you know, common select committees know something's going on there but are not going to pay too much attention. As soon as you put up four billboards in Harrow, suddenly it's in the public consciousness People and there's a discussion. People don't like
1: to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Charles, what do you think? I'm wondering, in, in
3: where, you, where you came across this story, is she quoted?
1: Yeah. She said, um, is applying shame and stigma to something the best way to be dealing with something that is everywhere? And she's right. She's, she's asking the right question. It's everywhere anyway, so why make us feel
4: bad? Alexei? I think there's quite a lot to un- unpack. I mean, we, we've done, at Tortoise quite a lot of investigations into the online porn industry, and it's difficult to see it all as one homogeneous uh, whole. So Viva Street, for instance, is massively problematic because it's been linked to instances of trafficking. There was some work I did at The Times where we ran... Um, a computer program that searched for the same mobile phone number on different Viva Street adverts. And it came up with like maybe sort of one phone number was used by 70 different women advertising their services on Viva Street, supposedly as independent escorts. But effectively being pimped. But effectively, the f- same no- phone number showed that they were being pimped. For me, that that is a, a very, very significant problem and taps into the general lack of regulation I- I- in this area. And similarly, if you sort of take a step up to, to sites like, like Pornhub, there's well-documented evidence that regulation has, has failed in this area. I'm just not sure that this is a sort of uh, case in point, because if anything, you know there are problems with OnlyFans. There, there are definitely problems in terms of moderation, in terms of opaque ownership structures, and things like that. But in in the world of porn, it does seem to offer a, 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 a way of uh, becoming kind of the the owner of your own destiny as a as a as a sec, as a sex worker. Uh, and of. is the issue here, Liz, that? This world of Viva
2: Street, Pornhub, OnlyFans gets normalised by billboards, by outdoor advertising, and effectively the line moves on what the public thinks is safe and acceptable. Yeah,
1: I think so. I think that probably is what it is.
2: And Alexi... What do you do about the risk that what we end up doing here in this story is a classic case of reporting something we understand at the expense of really investigating all the stuff that we don't? So if the real story is, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm nervous about this because Mm. I listen to this and think, actually, she may be a perfectly good case of the way the system should work. We report her, bring her into the public eye. But actually, the real story is all the way it doesn't work. And if the Viva Street example is true, I suspect there are a bunch of people on OnlyFans sites who are also being, you know, controlled and managed. And it's not the um, situation that Liz describes of kind of ownership and
4: control. I completely agree. And and I think that this this idea that OnlyFans is like entirely populated by people in control of their own destiny is definitely not true.
1: And I suppose I would... Add to that that even if in your example, James, even if this particular example, Eliza Rose Watson, is in a good example of how the system, as you say, should work, my position is the system shouldn't work like that.
2: There shouldn't be this system. Yes, but the debate, in some ways, is in two totally different registers. Liz, yes, yeah, it is. How do you manage the porn industry's place in the public square? Ie billboards, ASA, etc., and then there is the stuff that you don't see. The existence of a porn industry online. How do you manage, regulate, oversee that, yes. or allow it? Yes, Charles, can you ever lead on a story like this? Yeah, there's a good peg unfortunate annoyed.
3: terminology there
2: as well. <laughs> oh. we're, we're opening a whole new <laughs> you can't see by the way but the best bit about this whole thing is Patricia in the gallery has lost it I had yeah. no idea
1: <laughs> I was the one who had to ask what pegging was live on Twitter spaces Embarrassing. pegging a thing yes we'll tell you after
2: alright alright this is a different podcast let's get back to what we're here for let's take a moment and then we're going to come to Alexi's story
4: All right, Alexi. I don't know how 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 I can follow that. Well, I
2: know, but you're, what you're going to do is is offer us cage fighting between Elon <laughs> Musk and uh, Mark Zuckerberg, and then bore us with a story about the future of social media platforms. Okay, okay, Go I'll for it. do that. So,
4: like, there's a phys- there, there is there is a there is a physical fight that might or might not take place between Elon Musk and uh, Mark Zuckerberg, but there's also a commercial fight. That is taking place this week because Mark Zuckerberg released this new Twitter killer app called Threads. Uh, and I've downloaded it. Um, it looks like identical to Twitter, except I've got no followers. <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah. Someone's on Twitter with no followers. <laughs> right, so you're welcome. Exactly. welcome. Yeah, um, yeah so... The reason why this is important is because uh, there have been quite a lot of competitors to Twitter that have sprung up in the last couple of years, but none have got in any way the um, stature of Threads. Threads has something like uh, 10 million followers already in like a, f- a few hours. Uh, you can sign up direct from Instagram and um Zuckerberg has a history of taking good ideas and adopting them as his own and then making a lot of money out of them. Uh, And in a way, it's interesting because uh, he spent years focused on the metaverse and poured like hundreds of millions of pounds into creating this new world. It's not really working yet. So it's like this is him going back to what he's good at, which is taking ideas, making social networks and eating other people's lunches. Um, But it's also interesting because we have a history at Tortoise of trying consciously to treat big tech companies like countries um, because we think they're that influential. So uh, if Twitter is on its way out, and it might be, um, then that will have kind of potentially profound social consequences. Uh, And you could say that sort of doom mongering but the stuff that musk has done to the company in the last 12 months it's difficult to see that that's somehow like some kind of clever game of 4d chess that he's playing like advertising revenue has gone down by more than 50 percent half of the big advertisers have pulled out of the platform revenues down it's got a huge debt pile to 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 service and for, for, for the general user, you're seeing more, you know, more more porn, less moderation, more shitty advertising. Uh, so you, you can really see that something might happen in the next 12 months, which might be quite con- consequential. Uh, I'm really in two minds about this, Alexei.
2: So I think if we'd had this conversation four or five years ago, I would have been really energized by this story because I'm really interested in the individuals who own the platforms, their responsibility. Five years on, I'm not very persuaded that any of the individuals have a plan for responsible ownership. And so my interest has moved from Silicon Valley, if you like, to Capitol Hill from the from the valley to the hill and from, from the platforms themselves to the people who are going to oversee those places, those, those spaces. And so there might, the reason I'm in two minds is it's interesting that Zuckerberg might end up owning that part of the conversation. But in the end, does it really make that much difference in terms of the way in which social media works when it ultimately be up to legislators and regulators to decide how that works?
4: I, th- I think that you can't... Uh, uh, for the last 15 years, Twitter has been the central place, n- not just for celebrities like you get on Instagram, but for, for power and for 21st century power. It's where journalists go, politicians. Trump Trump's influence was largely created as a result of his presence on, on Twitter. Now you've got this very kind of diversified, fragmented marketplace. If Twitter l- implodes... No one's going to, you know, Twitter's 250 million users are not all going to suddenly decamp and go to threads. And threads is set up for a kind of different purpose anyway. It's much more kind of cartoony, less kind of serious. So you're going to get a vacuum and given Twitter's importance for like misinformation, for political discourse, for everything that we feel is pretty important, if it suddenly disappears, I don't think the conversation just shifts to Capitol Hill. Liz, what do you think?
1: Um, Until a a conversation with some colleagues earlier today, this question had never occurred to me, but might it be the case that Musk is deliberately driving Twitter into the side of a mountain?
2: It is hard to know whether or not you buy something for $44 billion and then seem to dismantle it in front of everyone.
1: I don't think he's a stupid man. I mean, he's definitely weird, but I don't think he's
2: stupid. What do you think, Charles?
3: Uh... I think the interesting word here is friendly, which Zuckerberg said he would make threads be. And I think the interesting question is, can you do friendly by algorithm? And secondary question, will he do so without being forced to by, uh, by regulators? Um, and I suspect that if 10 million people in seven hours are saying, yes, please do, then he might give it a shot and we might be headed somewhere slightly different.
1: Has everyone forgotten Facebook's involvement in misinformation and, yeah. and know, the eating like disorders and all of that? I mean, it's, a, it's it and didn't Instagram. used to be a yes, good, I
3: ha- I had
4: forgotten. good guy, did it? I'm, I'm, I'm talking relatively, relatively wholesome relatively friendly. Someone did a, a, a comment piece about about this issue. And it, it was quite pressing because he said that the only person that, that tech journalists hate more than Mark Zuckerberg is, is Elon Musk. So the first week of coverage of threads will be all like, oh, yeah, it's threads. And then people will suddenly realize that actually threads is like collecting health data and sensitive data and all this other s- sort of stuff. Mm. Surprise, surprise, so that it can advertise to you. No, but it's something
2: when you think about it is shocking about this. You announce that you're going to establish essentially a new platform for the world's conversation and you don't tell people what the rules are. That's really frightening. Yeah. So you've moved from one unregulated moguls, you know, plaything to another.
3: Wait, 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 wait. With all this, I just come back to this um, mantra that – I have tried to impress upon my children with absolutely no success, which is you don't have to use any of them. You're talking about these platforms as if they're utilities which people have to use. They're not utilities. You don't have to use them. How's that going? Actually, a little... (laughs) (laughs) It's a very
4: long story.
2: But But Liz, what do you think about the... um, Musk end of this in that I have this argument because i fascinated by how we run the global conversation about social media. I genuinely think it's important. I don't particularly buy Charles' idea that you can like usher people off it. It's not going to happen. But I do think that we talk about this too much. Journalists talk about this too much. You know, um, we don't talk about Tesla, which is what Musk really has done. We talk, you know, Tesla is transforming The world of cars and transport, you know, look at the production numbers of uh, Tesla. That's a real, real change to the way in which we get around the place, climate, etc. Do we just talk too much about Twitter and we should come back in six months and see how this thing's gone? Yeah. <laughs> Lexi, what do you say to that?
4: No way. Um, <laughs> uh, f- look, I I I think that you can overestimate Twitter's importance, but it's you you, you can underestimate it as well. It's it's certainly uh, significant, and if it goes away, that will also be significant. All right, um,
2: it's quite an interesting week this week, isn't it? It's I can't remember a week like this all year where the news has been quite so. Bitty or scarce. Mm. There's not Mm. been one compelling story. Mm. That being the case, can I say one more thing in favour of mine? Yes.
3: Right. It's a mixture of a story and a campaigning story, and we need it to lead the news now to up the ante before the opportunity for signing this horizon deal next week, so that if he doesn't sign it, it's an even bigger story.
2: Wavering Brexiteers listening to the news meeting think, yes, you're right.
1: This could be the thing that tips the balance. Come
2: on, let's get behind <laughs> it. All right. On that basis, Charles, if not Horizon, what's your story that leads the week this week?
3: Um, Eliza Rose Watson.
2: Liz?
1: I go Horizon.
2: Alexi, Horizon. All right. I think... Actually, this is an interesting one because the story that we'll all talk about the most, I think is the story that runs third. <laughs> I would run Eliza Rose Watson as the third story because really it's a way in for understanding a whole set of issues. But the billboards themselves and the regulation of outdoor advertising and the porn industry runs third. The question of the porn industry online, who runs it, who plays in it, what it's what is allowable is obviously a much, much bigger issue. I... For all my reluctance to get stuck into the Threads Twitter story, I do think it's a very big story. The idea that we've got Mark Zuckerberg controlling the Facebook world, the Instagram world and potentially now the Threads world means that some of the ways in which we most regularly communicate with each other, not just the uh, our relationships but the news – means this is obviously a really important story. And I do get your point, Alexi, which is, you know, when we grew up, the old, you know, the medium is the message mantra was true. The idea that these social media platforms are governing the nature of our political conversation, the sort of the platform is the politics uh, reality is really important. So I see that. But I think by far the horizon story is the most interesting because it feels to me as though it's hugely significant of itself the extent to which access to not just funding, but other scientific work enables people in the UK to really advance the uh, frontiers of our understanding and innovation. But politically, I completely agree with you, Giles, that what we're seeing is the gradual return to a relationship. It's not necessarily rejoining, but it is the return to a relationship. And it's extraordinary that, in effect, Rishi Sunak has played a Nixon in China. He's been a Brexiteer who's been the engineer of a much more meaningful and engaged relationship with the European Union. So for me, horizon, threads, billboards is the running order for this week. Thank you very much. Thank you. I've never won
3: before oh Giles you know what it feels like don't you <laughs>
4: um,
2: now once the mics go off where are we going to go to discuss this pegging issue what is that about <laughs> uh, with that Alexi Liz and Giles thank you very much thank you for listening if you disagree with the running order that I've come up with or with uh, any of the points that we've made or frankly think that we missed the biggest story of the week by a mile please do email us um, we're at newsmeeting at tortoisemedia.com and we're going to. We'll be back again start the week on monday join us for the news meeting in the meantime have a very good weekend
0: tortoise
3: imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even
1: softer over time